Welcome to the show. I'm your host, Dr. Mike Wall. The pandemic has had a lot of impacts on us, especially on our children's development and education. One thing we may not have thought about is how the lack of physical education can actually impact how young people learn to move, and not just now, but for the rest of their lives. Learning to roll and hop and throw are all motor skills that the body has to learn, and for many young people, their only exposure to these types of skills are through physical education in school. You know, kids don't move as much as they used to with increases in screen time soaring, so learning how to move at school is becoming more important than ever. Just like reading where literacy is improved with education and practice, physical literacy also needs regular exposure. Physical literacy is defined as the ability to move with competence and confidence in a wide variety of physical activities and in multiple environments that benefit the healthy development of the whole person. Well, today we chat with David Arsenault, who after climbing to the highest levels of elite athlete training and competition, decided that he would take his talents and use them to train those individuals where he can have the greatest impact, and that audience was children. He runs a charitable organization called Champions for Life, which is dedicated to helping children to develop physical literacy through their schools, communities, and families, especially those in high-risk communities. He shares why physical literacy might be the most important subject in school for our long-term health. Let's check it out. Hi, Dave. Welcome to the show. Hey, Mike. Nice to meet you. And I, nice to meet you too. I, we were connected through a mutual friend. And as soon as I heard about what you do, I thought we have to get you on the show because you deal with something that's really interesting. It's called physical literacy. But can you tell me about the organization that you run called Champions for Life? Absolutely. It's a charity. It's a Canadian charity that um, is based out of Montreal. And uh, for the first few years, since 2013, we piloted a program for children five to eight years old that helps promote learning fundamental movement skills like hopping, skipping, jumping, basic stuff that, uh, you know, kids uh, develop and practice and learn in physical education. Um, but we're doing it, especially in low socioeconomic schools where children are facing a little bit more barriers. Mm -hmm. And so basically we're trying to be a complement or a supplement to physical education and help kids move and be active for life. Yeah, there's definitely some challenges. I mean, you think about, you know, some parents talking about being in the hockey rink all weekend. Well, a lot of kids might not be able to afford to be part of those types of sports or parents have time because they're working several jobs. So that's a very important topic, you know, but it's ironic because you're teaching kids some of these basic physical skills now. You know, your background, you came from a sport performance background. Can you tell me a bit about your education and sort of your evolution in the field? Oh, yeah. Um, so I, I suppose I did lots of sports uh, growing up. My, I had two older brothers who uh, were hockey players and baseball players and soccer players. So I followed in their footsteps. And then I discovered Taekwondo at the age of 14 mm. and uh, never looked back. Uh, I guess uh, I, you know, competed uh, provincially, nationally, internationally. Um, and it was kind of my passion and my drive. I studied in exercise science to better myself as an athlete. Um, out of Concordia University. And um, while I was competing, you know, I got to see a good part of the world and, and go and explore uh, and develop myself. And at the end of my career, um, I was asked by a hockey agent to train his stable of athletes. The hockey agents, uh, Kent Hughes, the, the now GM of the Montreal Canadiens, funny enough. <laughs> so, um, so then, you know, through 
teaching myself how to, you know, do well, train in Taekwondo, but I trained with the Quebec uh, Olympic weightlifting team. I would do track and field, plyometrics before CrossFit was a thing. And before, you know, uh, people were doing all kinds of different modalities of training. I was trying to bring in whatever I could. I lived out um, kind of more in a rural part of Montreal. So I didn't have access to lots of competitors and um, probably like you just finding ways to get better and, you know, picking and choosing, uh, finding mentors here and there and uh, just doing my best to, to educate myself uh, in every way and shape possible. That's right. Yeah. I remember going to the hardware store and buying chains to do unloaded squats and all those different go. things, which is, you know, something you got to do when you're creative going through it all. But, you know, you kind of went through, like I said, a similar path in the fact that you went from, you know, you, you trained some really high level athletes um, yeah. and then you went into the corporate side of things. And then yeah. you started to realize that there were some gaps when it came to the health needs of our generalized population. How did you come to that conclusion? So I looked at the long-term athlete development model, which is uh, basically stages that a person needs to get to in order to develop an athlete. You know, you don't want to skip any milestones and there's sensitive periods of development where it's optimal to develop coordination, speed, uh, strength, and so on. So through, through different phases of development. And the first one they, they called physical literacy. And the way they, they would draw it, and I'm saying they, the, the uh, Canadian Sport for Life, um, with uh, their researchers, and, and uh, they built this long-term athlete development model that applies to every sport federation now in, in the country. So every provincial, every national sport federation has its own uh, long-term athlete development model. So I took real interest in the base of the pyramid, which is all the children everywhere should be developing their physical literacy. So I, I looked even closer and I said, hmm, that's maybe why my athletes can't jump. You know, I'm trying to get them to do plyometrics and do different things. And many of them aren't doing very basic fundamental movement skills. So we bring them back in, in their movement preparations we're making them do basic things like skipping and hopping. And so um, I dug deeper and I looked at, uh, you know, there was a, a group, um, well, the Sport for Life and uh, an organization called Active for Life that have an amazing website for parents uh, with kids that are between the age of literally birth to, to 12 uh, years old. And um, saying that, you know, this base of, pyramid is shrinking because there's less kids being physically active. And not only that, well, there's hyper specialization in sports for young children, which, uh, you know, it's great. You're a good hockey player, but what happens if you get injured or what happens, you know, how are you going to develop your neuroplasticity to be able to do other things? And we know that good athletes tend to be good at many different things mm -hmm. and they tend to be able to adapt. So not just adapt physically, but mentally and, and in different ways. So, um, so I looked at the work that I was doing at the time with the people that I was doing it with who were hyper-specialized and said, hmm, there's a really, there's a big problem at the grassroots. Mm -hmm. So, um, and then there was, uh, you know, so I was looking at what I was doing, all this work to help this top tier and thinking, hmm in the long run, you know, what's best for our, our society, our country.
Well, you can make the biggest impact with that. I mean, you know, it's, it's, it's unfortunate that the individuals that have access to all the people with this expertise and the general population is left without it. Now, before we get into it, I just want to talk a tiny bit about neuroplasticity because you just mentioned it and development programs will introduce gymnastics and those types of movements into every start of baseline for training. Can you explain like what happens to the brain when we expose it to different things? Well, I think the brain is an extension of our body or our body is an extension of the brain. I, every cell in our body almost has its own brain. And um, so if we move our body in different ways, well, our body gets to learn and absorb and adapt uh, what is happening in whatever environment we're in, whether we're in the water or on snow or on the ice. or So I think the more you expose your body to different stimulus, the more the whole body and the brain and the nervous system have to adapt to different uh, stimuli, which will result in a body that's trained to adapt. Right. Know? And that's really, to me, uh, the body's ability to adapt is this neuroplasticity is, uh, you know, not working within a specific range or a specific work mode saying, okay, I have to be really, really good at this one thing. Now, certain athletes at certain stages you know if you're obviously performing one skill one one thing like a shot put or there's still research out there that's saying that you are greatly benefited by training in multiple ways so um i think that you know the the science is, is clear on that one we're here with David Arsenault from Champions for Life, a charitable organization designed to improve the health literacy of children. We'll be right back after the break. We're here with David Arsenault from Champions for Life, a charitable organization designed to improve the health literacy of children. Let's check it out. What's the problem? You've kind of alluded to it a little bit with the pandemic, but overall, like what's happening with our kids when it comes to their exposure to these types of activities? Well, to me, it comes down to the, the uh, term physical literacy mm -hmm. and its definition. Mm -hmm. So, uh, and the meaning behind its definition. So basically physical literacy is developing motor competence and the knowledge that accompanies that, what is up, what is down, what is pivoting, what is bouncing, what is dribbling, um, and so on and so forth. So that's endless, you know, with the things we can learn um, in our knowledge and in our abilities to move. Then as we become competent or more competent in certain things, we become confident. Mm -hmm. You know, then we say, okay, I'm pretty good at that. So therefore, I'll be motivated to try. You know, you're not going to say this, you're just going to be confident and say, Oh, I can do that. Maybe I can do this. Or you're motivated to use what you've just learned. So this wheel of competence, knowledge, confidence, and motivation to keep going, just it's like a flywheel. It keeps feeding itself. And this is all part of having an active and healthy life. Mm -hmm. So what happens is we're in a system uh, where, you know, we reward um, good performances let's say or we we reward victories you know and there's lots of elimination that happens so if we look at our sports system you know you don't make the team you lose the game you didn't score you got scored on you know and so who wants to participate in something like that mm -hmm. especially at a young age when you know 
the risk is way too high. You know, you get socially shamed, you know, because you're not good at doing this and you're not, you know, you don't feel like you want to put yourself out there. And, um, and unfortunately, I think, you know, the problem lies in being able to present children with enough opportunities for them to learn, explore, develop their confidence, keep them motivated in an environment that is welcoming, that is inclusive, that is representative of what they like to do and, and how they like to do it, and in a safe environment. So it's clear that children are not getting these opportunities. And, um, and you know, there's not, you, for, for whatever reason that might be, uh, I think we have to prioritize physical literacy in the lives of everybody, not just children, because no. physical literacy could be developed at any age. Well, that's right. I mean, yeah. And, you know, it's funny. You said something about like confidence and, you know, so scoring that goal does build tremendous confidence. We both played sports. All of you know what that's like. However, is today's generation, number one, do they have a different attitude towards physical activity than our generation, for example? And secondly, does the pressures of, pressures of things like social media sort of weigh on that where they're even more connected to other peers if they win or lose or make or do something that's embarrassing? You know, is there any sort of risk you've seen in your work for that? Yeah, so I choose to work specifically with 48-year-old children okay. where social media and images are less uh, of a factor. So teenagers, yes, it's another, it's another big drop. Uh, I'll tell you why I choose to work with the age that I, I choose to, but I, I think that social media has a, a positive role to play as well. You know, you can get lots of positive message. You can develop a, you know, a very healthy relationship with it. I think it's an amazing tool. You know, being able to do this podcast and for it to be heard by so many people, uh, share positive messages, I think, you know, it's all in the values and, and things that we want to uh, put out there and, and, you know, the content that we curate for ourselves. So we have a responsibility as adults to put the proper information out for, for parents. So that's a bigger conversation. Um, I chose to, I chose to uh, work with the younger children because there was a stat that said that um, children that go to that stay at home or go to daycare before they get into school 84 percent of them do 180 minutes of physical activity a day so 84 percent is a pretty good stat but by the time they get to school and they get in school that stat drops to 14 percent and that's uh moderate to vigorous physical activity 60 minutes a day so we go from 180 minutes to 60 minutes a day so there's a real inflection point at that point where it really drops. And um, for one, uh, in Quebec, we have mandatory physical education for grade ones and up. That's six years old and, and higher. Uh, in much of Canada, there's no designated physical education teacher for the classes, elementary school or high school. It's really a priority on the school. So whether they decide to hire a physical education specialist, and it's a physical education and health specialist, mm -hmm. so PHE. So who is advocating for physical education and health in the school? Now you have very competent, very willing, very able teachers who inform themselves and who might be leading a very physically active life. And depending on where you're living, um, you know, it might be part of your class to go outside and go explore and do ecology or whatever it is. And 
make this part of your uh, curriculum. However, the curriculum, you know, and, and the priorities of our curriculum make it such that math and literacy and reading are very high on these things. And how we're not prioritizing health is a big, big red flag for me. Mm-hmm. So, and, and for me and for lots of organizations and physical education teachers have been chanting this for years and years and years, you know, there is, so in a typical school, you might have two kindergarten classes and two grade one classes and two, you know, of each grade going up through the elementary school. And you'll have one physical education teacher for the entire school. Yeah. So that's one teacher for 12 classes. Yeah. you know, or more, easily more. And that teacher tends to be the, and I'm not a physical education teacher, but I can tell you a lot of physical education teachers shaped my attitudes for physical activity in my life. So uh, these, the physical education teacher is also the steward of the big space in the school, the gymnasium, which is often the auditorium, which mm-hmm. is often the assembly place. So it coordinates with all the teachers. And it, it's no, it's no um, coincidence that physical education teachers near the end of their career become the principals of schools mm-hmm. because they are leaders. They know how to communicate. They know how to rally people. They know how to, you know, prop them up. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. That's interesting. That's good. And, and you know, it's a, uh, it, maybe we should talk about some of the things that we're seeing and trends when it comes to children's health because they're getting this uh, lower level of physical activity than other generations. What are some of the things that the literature is sharing with us about what's happening to them? Obesity rates are still going up. Um, childhood obesity is going up. It's a it's endemic to this situation. It's becoming you know normal and. And um, I mean, it's not just a matter of physical literacy or physical education. It's also what we eat and how we eat and how we are informed about these topics. I mean, shouldn't there be more of that information in schools? And shouldn't we link what's happening in schools to what's happening in our communities? And shouldn't be shouldn't the community centers be collaborating with the schools and the sports associations and you know, because what is the point? You know, what is the point if we can all live and thrive and live a, a healthy and, you know, vibrant uh, life, you know? So the obesity rates, if you look at the, the movement of children, if you look at how people move, there was this really funny commercial, I forget what it was, but, you know, someone was uh, getting out of the car and threw their keys, but didn't know how to throw the key. Like you see people, you either see very performing people mm-hmm. that are doing CrossFit and uh, Tough Mudders and Spartan races and all kinds of, you know, you, you think, wow, that's a super athlete, you know, must have been doing this since, uh, since birth. And yeah. you see other people are just not physically active at all. And, you know, one person's not better than the other, but, Certainly, there's got to be a way to make more accessibility for people to, you know, have a chance to feel what it's like to be fully engaged. You know, and I'll, I'll always come back to physical education. Um, I'm not a physical education teacher. We work with a lot of physical education teachers. 
Our primary programs are an after-school program, mm -hmm. which we collaborate with leaders or physical education teachers or educators from schools. So we do, you know, lunchtime or after-school programs. We provide re resources for uh, physical education teachers, and we're developing stories for the classroom teachers on uh, physical literacy, health literacy, food literacy as well. And um, but the three main objectives of physical education are one, to teach uh, people to move well, mm -hmm. two, to get them to move well together. So the whole social aspect and organizing aspect and sportsmanship and rallying people to participate and you need officials, you need uh, people organizing the meets and, you know, so it, it goes, it's everything in everybody. And then the last part is being a part of an active and healthy lifestyle. Mm -hmm. So these things that we organize and these things that we do make it so that we're, we're healthy and active. We're here with David Arsenault from Champions for Life, a charitable organization designed to improve the health literacy of children. We'll be right back after the break. We're here with David Arsenault from Champions for Life, a charitable organization designed to improve the health literacy of children. Let's check it out. Let's talk a little bit about exactly what your program does. We've sort of built a really strong case that, you know, it is lacking in a lot of places and it is extremely important to start kids young. But what is it that your organization does and how does it roll out in the school system or with coaches and volunteers? Yeah, so primarily it's free. Um, so there's no cost to schools, especially low socioeconomic schools, where um, we will... Uh, we have a footprint or, or some presence in over 400 schools in the province of Quebec. And we have other schools that are in other provinces, but we've been mainly focused on Quebec and we're starting to scale throughout the rest of Canada. Um, we'll, I, we'll go to the schools. We know there's a, there's a need. We know that teachers are strapped for resources and costs. And, uh, and we know this is a, a, a pressing issue and, you know, so when we call the school, we say, here's what we have to offer. We sponsor uh, skill cards, movement maps. We do, uh, we have a, a leader manual. We have uh, cue sheets that you can put up on the walls or use on the floor and spread out to develop, you know, 51 fundamental movement skills. Mm -hmm. And then these movement skills are in the categories of balance, stability, uh, locomotion. So how you move around and then object manipulation. So these are basic skills that, you know, children hopefully everywhere should be developing now, whether they're from Newfoundland or Quebec or British Columbia or Alaska or China, it's all the same thing. It's all stuff that we would learn generally on our own by playing games, but because there's not a lot of time uh, devoted to outside of school and outside of, you know, other things, um, we have basically curated all the, the basic fundamental movement skills and have created a system to be able to uh, introduce these in a timed way that is inclusive, that is at the level of each participant, that is non-competition. You know, so if, there's, if they're bouncing, catching, skipping, hopping, everyone's moving at the same time. It's, uh, you know, non-circle games, non-lineups, non, you know, as much as we can. 
Uh, and many of these children are moving in a group for the first time. They're moving together for the first time. So it takes a long time. We have a 20 week after school program. Yep. So from week one to week 20, there's a, there's a big transformation on a social level, on a physical level, on a, you know, so teachers see the difference, educators see the difference, parents see the difference, and it's really turning on a light bulb. And imagine if you were to, to learn to read, mm. you know, as a child. So you learn letters, you, you, you hear sounds, you mimic these sounds, and then you recognize, oh, that's mom, that's dad, you know, so you're developing language. So as you develop your language throughout your lifetime, and it, we're, we're not sharks, we are not born and we're hunting right away. Yeah, yeah. yeah <laughs> it yeah, takes yeah. a long time to nurture us. Yeah. So it takes a long time to develop language. So imagine a child who's dyslexic. Imagine a child who starts their, their life with lots of, you know, um, uh, problems with their hearing or, or speech or whatever. So literacy takes a longer time for some, you know, and children grow at different rates. You look at an eight-year-old child and that girl looks like she's 12 years old, you know, but that eight-year-old boy looks like he's still six, you know, so from six to 12 years old, from a physical maturity standpoint, it's a different ball game, mm -hmm. you know, and from a maturity standpoint, like uh, cognitively and even maturity. It, so you have a sibling with, uh, you have a child with three older siblings versus a single uh, child home, completely different, you know, in terms of their socialization and if they've been at daycare and if they've been on hockey teams. And so how do you build programs that help include everybody you know, right. so there's lots of mentorship there's lots of collaboration there's lots of you know inclusion and uh, and so we the answer is you know i wish i could tell you exactly what our program is and mm -hmm. and we have a uh you know version seven right now and it'll be version eight next year and it'll be version you know it's just constantly changing and evolving mm -hmm. uh, as do as do all our programs that makes sense. I can I can see though how kids would be learning to catch and throw. Like they can't throw snowballs this year in Newfoundland. We have no snow, so they're going to lose that skill. But catching and throwing and and moving and going back and forth and, and moving side to side and a lot of these things. And I'm sure you can make these really really fun for kids. I mean, we played tag growing up. That was agility and moving and crawling and all sorts of stuff. So I really I, I kind of get that. You know, uh, on how that would be good. Do kids go home? to their parents, just like they would if they learned something new at school and be like, mommy, dad, whoever, you know, the family, look what I learned. Are you seeing that with kids? We don't see them at home yeah. so much, right? right? So we give them a skill card at the end of a lesson that says, okay, today it's uh, catching. So, you know, we send out, oh, must be like 70,000 skill cards a year, you know? So we... We hope that children are at home and, you know, doing this with their parents. And we hope that the parents have the time, you know, to spend with their child to explore movement or even play uh, with their child. So we're sending home movement maps. We're sending home different things to, to inspire parents to, to move with their children. It should happen naturally, right? The first teacher of the child is the parent. Um, and that comes with its challenges, single parents, two working parents, you know, sometimes the grandparents are very active with the, the children. So, and sometimes it's the siblings are playing together, 
Um, I think it's a, it's a matter of communicating priorities, you know, and we have to communicate this as a nation, as a province, through the schools, through the school boards, and make physical literacy, physical activity as important as the other subjects. Parents will often follow what other parents are doing, mm-hmm. you know, and, and parents can get together and have their kids play together. Yeah. And we, we do this a lot, but with the seasons in Canada, sometimes we only see, you know, other families at the, uh, outside in the summer. Yeah. So uh, we have to learn, you know, there's physical literacy in winter. What does that look like? Get down with your kids and, and play. That's the, that's the best thing. Well, I think that's really, uh, it's, it's interesting. So just before we get off of some of the skills and all the things you teach kids, I mean, some kids are good at math and bad at reading. Some kids are good at science and bad at health or whatever. Yeah. Are, do you find that, that some of the children excel at certain physical tasks and they're really bad at others? And so therefore everybody is not great at one thing or another. So that helps them encourage one another. Yes. And it makes you see who can be a leader in what. So if someone's particularly good at rallying people in organizing. So my son, um, he's 18 now and I teach Taekwondo. I've been teaching Taekwondo for 30 years and I still do. Mm-hmm. I love it. I, I love teaching kids, love teaching adults and, and seniors and so on. And my daughter as well. They, they both done Taekwondo. My son still does. My daughter dances in competitive dancing and she teaches now. And, um, when he was growing up, he, he didn't care about competing or performing or he just liked waving his arms, flinging his legs up in the air and being with the group, kind of that class clown type character. Mm-hmm. And what's really important is to let our kids be who they want to be, who they're going to be. So he, he was not concerned at all about performing or the levels, or he just wanted to be with a group. Mm -hmm. So letting him be who he is made our group more fun, Mm -hmm. made everybody look forward to being together. Whereas there's other kids that are there that are, you know, they're really keen on performing and, you know, making you, well, making themselves happy through being able to do everything really, really well. And So everybody has something to shine. And when we talk about literacy, we're really talking about acquiring a certain skill set that we can then use later to express ourselves. Mm -hmm. So if I have a limited vocabulary, I can express myself in only so many words. You know, the, the people in Northern Canada, Inuit, have so many terms for snow, whereas we call it snow. Mm So it's very limited in how we relate to snow. But if a snow has a certain texture, maybe you can read something about the weather that's coming. Or you can read something about, you know, you look at the ground and say, "Mm, so maybe it's better hunting now that we can go and pursue these types of animals. So with their literacy and their knowledge of the world through the environment that they're in, they can thrive. So for us, if we only have a certain base of knowledge, you know, whether it's cognitive, emotional, physical, we're limited in our capacity to express ourselves first and interpret the world around us 
to be able to live in that world and thrive in that world. So literacy is really about that. Literacy was a, a United Nations term that we need to educate people to read so that they could educate themselves and thrive in their lives, have better opportunities for work, education, and health. Mm-hmm. So it's basically, you know, everything is literacy, financial literacy, literacy, numeracy, physical literacy, health literacy. The more you know about something, the more you, you value knowledge, the more, you know, you can prosper and, and I, I'm saying prosper, but I mean, really mm-hmm. thrive. Yeah, totally. And, you know, it's important to have that and, and build those skills. You can carry them through lives because if you're an athletic kid, it may transfer to being a more mobile senior citizen. And yeah. I, I think that people underestimate the importance of that, of being able to move and be strong and have that muscle memory and those skills as they go through life. We're here with David Arsenault from Champions for Life, a charitable organization designed to improve the health literacy of children. We'll be right back after the break. We're here with David Arsenault from Champions for Life, a charitable organization designed to improve the health literacy of children. Let's check it out. If I was a uh, physical education teacher or somebody that's involved in rolling out curriculum, of this nature, uh, how do they get a hold of your organization and are there some resources they can access? Absolutely. So you can get in touch with me directly, david at championsforlife.ca and that's a champions with a C, so plural. There's a, our website, championsforlife.ca so you can get in touch with us through there, follow us on social media, DM us. Uh, we will be happy to be in touch with you, share resources also learn from you because it's one one thing to deal with inner city kids and rural kids and children that are in different parts of the country and their realities are are different um we like i said we're in a lot of schools and we're developing resources for constantly for teachers and physical education teachers and educators that are in all kinds of different uh, situations Mm -hmm. so we we're starting to develop some special needs resources for children with um, intellectual intellectual, um, challenges or physical challenges. And we love to work with different school boards, administrators. Um, We really aspire to try to break all silos. Uh, We're very, very open to sharing and learning and working in collaboration with other organizations that we can share their uh, resources and they could share ours and we can partner together so that uh, everybody achieves more. Yeah. And I think that, you know, that's something that we should talk about really briefly too, is you've got some amazing partners on board uh, for people that are listening from the private sector. You've had a large amount of support from some pretty big organizations. Who are some of the people you've been able to get on side? So we were in our third year as a, just piloting our programs and looking to become a charity. So the Montreal Canadiens Children's Foundation gave us a call and um, they said, hey, we've heard about you, that you're doing these great programs in, in schools. Can we come by and see? So they've been a tremendous partner for us since the beginning. Mm-hmm. Uh, their mission is to help children in low socioeconomic communities, children facing barriers, which aligns perfectly with ours. Um, and they want to promote health and physical activity. So 
for the past six years, we've been uh, working hand in hand at um, you know getting more programs into schools in the province of Quebec. Um, we've had a Power Corporation of Canada who's helped us with financing and to put ourselves out there. Again, uh, I can't name all the individual donors who have given anywhere from you know five dollars to a thousand to ten thousand dollars. Any amount counts. Basically, anyone supporting the movement, uh, physical literacy in any organization, whether it's a sport organization or whether it's a, an NPO or, or anyone talking about and helping promote physical activity and physical literacy is not just about getting kids to move, but getting them to move well. That's really important, mm-hmm. uh, I think, is, you know, is our partner. <laughs> Yeah, that sounds great. That's great. I mean, even for non-Habs uh, fans, they got to give a pat on the back for supporting such a good yes. cause. <laughs> yes, so, yes. We got a good mix at this part of the world where uh, they're also well, it, the representative. They might not be performing well right now uh, yeah, as a yeah. team, but they certainly, you know, their foundation has their priorities straight. And, That's right. Not that the team doesn't, but yeah, they're great, great people. Well, you have to get your strength coaching hat back on and go in and give them a hand. You know, before yeah. we clue up, you know, in at you, you're doing this for a reason. I mean, we've yeah. talked about all the various reasons on the personal level for children. Um, yeah. but you know, what happens as a society if we improve our physical literacy starting now, moving forward? Yeah. Well, we're gonna be saving kids' lives. Literally. And we will be reducing the enormous costs on our healthcare system that are a result of a lot of disease and illness that happen later on because of physical inactivity and not having a healthy and active lifestyle. So being physically active, moving well, means also eating well, means all these things, means treating each other well, our sports systems where yeah, we want to have Olympic champions and champions of all types, but those are people that are highly motivated. They relish in this world of competition, and that's what makes them happy. You know, first or second, they want to be first on the podium. Not everyone can be, but this system can't not cannot be the system that we use for everybody. Mm-hmm. You know, that's the top one percent or ten percent of athletes that make it to a certain level. Why do I have to be failing if I'm only on my varsity team? Mm-hmm. You know, and I haven't made it to the NHL or the NFL or, or whatever L you want. You mm-hmm. know, yeah. it's, it's, uh, it's all about participation. I think as Canadians, we are a, a very inclusive type culture and we're aspiring to always be. And this is part of our national pride, you know, mm-hmm. and we've let this go. Yeah. Uh, we used to, you know, compare ourselves to the Swedes and the old participation um, commercials saying, you know, the 50-year-old Canadian is, uh, you know, is in shape as a 75-year-old Swede. Yeah. And, yeah, and yeah. we use that to motor, motivate ourselves to compete against the Swedes. And, you know, it didn't work. Yeah. It did not work. It, it's, it's really, I think it starts with, for adults to look at ourselves and say, what are we doing to ourselves? You know, we have a responsibility to ourselves to be healthy and, and I mean, healthy of body, mind, and spirit. Mm -hmm. And if you are, then you just, when you exude that, all you want is the same for everybody else. Yeah. So if you are poor of 
attention or affection or of health, then you tend to want to sap that from somebody else. So you want to, you're kind of pulling everybody down. We need to give people a hand up, not mm -hmm. hand downs. We tend to think that our problems are, can be solved by giving them people a hand down. You know, we've got to get in the trenches and lift people up, you know, well, lift, prop them up so that they can climb out the rest of the way themselves. So for me, this is the, the mission. And uh, if, if this mission is successful, then my organization doesn't have to, uh, doesn't have to be here. Yeah. So I went to a, a uh, provincial meeting where it was in, in front of, uh, so it was our Ministry of Education. And I was asked uh, to present the Champions Flight Foundation. And the, the Provincial Physical Education Association was there. So I talked, I had 20 minutes. I talked to everybody about Champions for Life for three minutes because it's very simple. Physical literacy and this is what we do. And then I sat down and I said, well, that was oddly fast, but so we have time for questions. So I raised my hand and I said, I have a question. I said, <laughs> why isn't there at least one hour of physical education a day in all the schools and the physical education person stood up and said that's great and you know so we have children in one place at one time all the time this motivates me uh, tremendously and it has become my life mission that's great we're so fortunate that somebody like yourself got lured away from the the pro athletes and all the the corporate world to make a real difference and apply that knowledge that you've accumulated all those years to do such a great thing for so many young people so I, I, and i also appreciate you taking the time to join us today out of your busy schedule to have a really enjoyable chat it was great meeting you david and thanks for coming on the show thank you mike thank you for the opportunity and to all your listeners keep listening i i've since we only were introduced this weekend, I've listened yeah. to four of your podcasts <laughs> and uh, keep up the great work. I'll be a, a regular listener from here on in. Thank you to David for joining me today. The benefits of physical literacy aren't limited to physical health. It also improves our academic performance, cognitive skills, mental health, psychological wellness, social skills, and healthy lifestyle habits. Training and education that improves fundamental movement skills and develops physical literacy in an inclusive and non-competitive environment is something that all children can benefit from. This is one thing we can learn in school that we will use for the rest of our lives. That's our show today. I'm your host, Dr. Mike Wall. We'll see you back here next week for another episode of the Wellness and Healthy Lifestyle Show on your VOCM. <laughs>